This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey, it's Melissa Rivers, and welcome to Group Text. Stay tuned for a new episode. Hey everyone, welcome to Group Text. Sabrina and I have a very interesting discussion today that's been affecting pretty much everybody who's a parent. We're going to discuss sort of the whole crazy education system and what the pandemic has done to it, and most importantly, the mental health of our kids and the long-term effects. So please welcome Dr. Dina, who has 27 years of experience uh, you deal with relationships, issues, substance abuse, depression, anxiety, trauma, and family therapy. Also joining us is a super mom, Betty. You have three kids in elementary school. What ages? 10, 7, and 5. Oh, dear God. And you work full-time, and you've been homeschooling throughout all of this. Yes. Okay, Betty, Dr. Dean, I'm going to start with you because mental health has really become a major topic amongst all parts of society in the last year. Um, With everyone, especially with kids from newborns to college, I'm dealing with a college-aged son who's been struggling through this as well. Just how bad has it been? Well, Melissa, I'm not only a therapist in private practice and running a treatment center, but I'm also a mom of two teenagers. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. (laughs) They're they're good kids, though, so it's good. Uh, Two daughters, 14 and 19. So I'm also dealing not only professionally, but personally with what's going on. And it's really impacting all of us, especially teenagers. Teenagers are really the, the hardest hit kids because they're not only dealing with, you know, anxiety. I mean, one in like, I think it's like one in three adolescents will have an anxiety disorder by the time they're 18. That's just without the pandemic. So now we're looking at the pandemic. We're looking at increased anxiety, increased depression, social isolation, academic problems across the board, especially for special education children who are not getting the education they need. And I think everyone's saying like, oh, let's just get everyone back to school. But the reality is we're going to have long-term effects even when they come back. This is trauma. It is. And and teen and young adult suicide was on the rise before this. They were saying in uh, Nevada and Clark County, in the nine months since since March, last March, there have been 20 student suicides in the district up from nine in 2019 and 2020? Well, I think you know that kids don't like structure, but they need it, right? So, I mean, that's one of the biggest issues is that kids are, it's kind of like Lord of the Flies. I mean, I know here where I live in Malibu, it's kids are just like roaming the streets because parents are working or they're doing other things and expecting that kids are on Zoom all day, which is very difficult to do. And 
they can't be monitored or supervised in a way that we know when we're dropping them off at school and picking them up. We know exactly where they are, what they're doing. They're going to sports after. And that's all gone by the wayside. It's really it's really been hard. It's, it's incredibly difficult. I mean, I see it with my son and even just these kids who lost their, you know, a good portion of their freshman year in college, the high schoolers who lost graduation, and even going into the first semester this year that a lot of these even the sophomores were were put out, but those but the kids that got gypped out of high school senior year are also being sort of gypped out of their freshman college experience. Right. Um, I, I would have a question for Betty. Betty, are you finding it difficult to maintain that structure with your elementary school kids? Um, I'm finding it extremely difficult. So mm. I just, you know, because my kindergartner needed so much support during his Zoom. I mean, the first week mm-hmm. of school, it was tantrum after tantrum. He didn't know how to unmute himself. The teacher didn't call on him when he raised his hand. Um, you know, he wasn't being heard and he wanted me helping all the time. That got a little better with like navigating the technology but still wanting me present, you know, the thought of like, he didn't want to be sitting in his room doing Zoom alone. So I moved his desk into my office, but then it became so hard to like have conference calls or, um, you know, I do a lot of writing in what I do. So it was very distracting trying to write something and he would require my help. So we recently started a pod for, um, with some neighbors for kids his age, which has been really helpful with the tutor. And he has just, you know, forget academically, but emotionally, he is doing so much better because he's around other kids. He's interacting with other kids. He's seeing friends and his mood is just throughout the day so much better. And then also, you know, my other kids were struggling emotionally. My seven-year-old is very social. And he had never said this to me. He's a very happy, optimistic kid. But something happened about two weeks ago. And he's like, I hate my life. I just want to kill myself. And that, that broke me as a mom. I mean, it's like that, that's, it was devastating. And when I started asking him questions and trying to find out the root of all this, it it went back to missing his friends, missing school. I mean, never thought I would hear kids talk about how much they miss school, right? It was always this thing of like, oh, I hate school or, and, and they really truly miss it and they need it. And it's, it's horrible. Yeah, the socialization is 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 huge. It's so important, especially in their development. It's huge. It's so huge. And luckily, you know, we started something with my kids and a couple of their close friends where they three times a week they do sports with the coach. Um, because I have all boys. So that's a whole other, you know, they're active, they need to get this energy out. So they're doing the sports and they're starting to see their friends again now that things have like stabilized as far as pandemic numbers and cases. But I I just feel that in the beginning, we as a society, you know, we panicked. We didn't know what we didn't know and everyone wanted to be safe and we shut down the schools and 
now we're a year into this and I think it's just unnecessary. You know, we have so much data and information of other countries, other cities, and even the private schools down the street that have been doing this and they've been doing it safely. So we, you've been very, very vocal locally about the reopening of schools and you feel very strongly about it. Dr. Dina, how much are you hearing? Not just, I mean, there's, it's two questions. One is how much are you hearing younger kids saying, I want to kill myself, which is not something that should be in the vernacular of a seven-year-old, number one. And number two, how much stress is being put on and anger is coming up in parents? I think that's a great question. And, you know, the I want to kill myself statement, I think, is just about wanting things to stop. I don't think that you're really hearing, I mean, there's obviously an assessment that would need to be made if somebody was really suicidal, right? But when you're hearing that in a seven-year-old who's otherwise happy and likes life and, you know, is not depressed um, in other ways, like you're not noticing depressive symptoms in other ways, like real withdrawal, isolation, not eating, not sleeping, you know, those kinds of things. Um, they're really just saying they want it to change and they want you to know how extreme it is for them. And, you know, kids are dramatic and, and self-focused and everything is about them. And so they really feel like they want you to know how badly they're struggling. And that's kind of the statement that they'll say. I mean, kids kind of are throwing this around a lot, like, oh my God, I'm going to kill myself. You know, they also hear us saying it, which is, which is not good. I think it's become kind of a, a phrase that people throw around, a, you know, a little too easy. Um, but I agree with, you know, a year is too long. And I think that we do have enough data to show that schools have done this safely and have not had an increase in numbers. So you know, even if it's going back part-time or moving in that direction, I think it's so important for kids to start seeing that this is not the, the new normal. This is going to go back to the way it was, and we need to go back to the way it was to try to get back to that normalcy and whatever that looks like. And how has this been, I mean, obviously, how much anxiety have you seen in adults due to this? I mean, I'm fortunate that I, even though my son came home, I didn't have, well, I did have to sit on him because that's what a mother does, but that's a different conversation for you and I, Dr. Dina, privately. <laughs> you know what you were, saying, you were saying about a college age? I mean, you know, we're talking about little kids all the way up to college age and my other, you know, my other daughter's in college and she did miss her senior prom. She missed her graduation. And then she went off to college and had a horrible first semester and came back. And now her experience of college is just, I don't think I want to go to college. So you're dealing with all of that because the college experience is just, it's not what it was. They're sitting in their rooms on Zoom. I mean, well, how do you, how do you advise a parent to keep their child, whether it's pre-K up to college, how do you keep them motivated? How do you keep their interest? How do you, you know, help them stay optimistic about the future when things seem so grim from one day to the next with the news and the this and the that? How how do you do that? What do you say? Yeah. And, and you know, I'm sure it's a question that Betty would have, too, is how as a parent, what do you say? And how as a parent do you not lose your mind? Right. 
Besides drinking and, and, and medicating, which Betty, I know you're kind of near me. I'm willing to share. Just so you know, you're not in this alone. I, I will take you up on that. Thank you. I probably will too. <laughs> okay. I, I can see I'm going to be nominated the den mom here. Or the, de- or the designated driver. Either, either way works. Well, listen, I know we're laughing about that, but Melissa, it's so important to model the behavior that we want our kids to exhibit. So if, if we're in fear and we have anxiety, it's okay to share that, you know, with your kids and to say, this is, you know, something that's never happened in our lifetime. And we're dealing with this for the first time too. And we're going to get through this together. And how can we put plans in place to, to help us all because parents are really struggling too. And then parents take it out on their kids. So, you know, that's what they're experiencing as well. So they're wanting to get away from us and get to their friends or get back to school because they're like, my household is stressed. So it starts at home. I mean, whatever you can do to kind of de-stress and create the best plan around your family first is really important. Um, and it, it it takes pivoting and and planning and um, changing up how you do things because we're also you know people that are kind of creatures of habit and we like structure and we like things the way that they're supposed to be and so it, it really shows your kids how resilient you can be if you you know have to kind of deal with stressors in life that hit you from the side and you weren't expecting. Betty, how long have your kids actually been out of school? Um, a year and a week or so. And how did you, you know, it, it's it's fascinating to me how someone like you who works full-time and has three kids, not just, and, and to find out they're all boys, I understand that level of energy. What did you find yourself doing proactively? How did you pivot, at least in the beginning, and how have you sustained it? Honestly, in the beginning, it was just shock and kind of feeling like, oh, okay, this will be done in a few weeks. You know, this is just now. And then a few weeks went by and months went by. And I, I had this moment where I was like, oh my gosh, I'm drinking so much more than I did before. You know, like come five, six o'clock, I just needed something to like help me get to bedtime because nonstop fighting and yelling and screaming. And, um, you know, my husband and I just really like sat down and we're like, we can't do this. Like we need to figure out how to make this work. And, and in some ways it's even more difficult because he's also working from home. So then you have five people in the house at all times on zoom working. Um, and so we kind of just, figured that, you know, I would take the youngest one and he would help with the other two. Um, My oldest one is in fourth grade, so he's pretty independent. But then I feel like I have to monitor him even more closely with certain things. Like he's on TikTok now. And normally I wouldn't be okay with that, but I, this is how he's socializing with friends. Um, so that's a whole other topic because I feel like they've been introduced to certain things so early because of all of this. Um, and I'm worried about long term, you know, long term, like they're playing Fortnite all the time. Again, that's something that they're doing with other friends and that these are this is their socialization. So sorry, not to get off 
track, but to um, stay on track, it's it's exercising, walking, um, you know, dividing up tasks with my husband. He's great because he helps a lot, but I, I don't think there's been a magic, you know, formula or thing that's helped. It's just, it's day by day. It's right. day by day. Um, trying to see how do we make it work. The pod thing has helped. My seven-year-old got a little jealous that the youngest was doing pods. So now a close friend of his, we rotate where they can do Zoom together um, and just giving them little things to look forward to. I, I, I don't know, Dr. Dina, if you have a magic formula or <laughs> Betty, I'm just really impressed that you're actually able to have a coherent conversation. She's upright. She's she, upright. You are upright. Your hair is brushed. You've got on some mascara. You are thriving. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. I actually don't have any eye makeup. I'm lucky I have long eyelashes, but I, I, have, I can't even remember the last time I put eye makeup on. But, uh, <laughs> But I want to just address something that you said, because I think that parents need to really not put so much pressure on themselves. Like, it's okay to relax the rules a little bit. I mean, yeah. everything is strange and different. And so to show your kids that you can relax the rules a little bit and it's not going to be as strict as long as they're not doing anything that's, you know, dangerous or, or really detrimental, I mean that's what we would do, right? Like you just said, you've been drinking a little bit more, you know, you try to kind of cope in different ways. And as long as it's not problematic, I think you need to not put so much pressure on yourself, you know, regarding this, because it, it, we're literally like in the middle of a traumatic event. Right. Yeah. Do Dr. Dina, what do you foresee as the long-term, like the lasting effects of all of this? Well, I think it's not just with mental health, but I think what we talked about before, like academically speaking, like we're, we're saying for kids in particular, you know, let's just get them back to school. But the truth is, is that, I mean, there's some kids that are doing really well on Zoom and have really um, kind of stepped up to that, but other kids really are not learning anything. And especially our, you know, kids with special needs or impoverished families who really need extra help or resources or even just food. Um, and so I think that it's going to be great to get back to the school, but the schools really need to have a plan in place to address the loss of education. You know, the teachers can't just go back to teaching, pick up where we left off kind of thing. And so I think the stress of that, I mean, I, I know that even my own daughter, when she was on Zoom, you know, she's got some attention issues and the teacher was really giving her a hard time like on Zoom in front of the other kids. And, and she just said, I, 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 can't, I can't do this. Um, and we really had to figure out a different plan for her because it didn't work. Um, and luckily, we were able to do that, but a lot of families can't do that. Right. You know, I, I kind of feel like, and I can say this because I'm not like in the trenches because my daughter is, you know, out of the house. Um, I feel like there's going to be more of a collaborative effort between the educators and with parents. It's not just I'm dropping my child off and you're going to take care of them and you're going to provide structure. And you're going to you're going to all that. I think it should be more of a collaborative effort. So if your child is, you know, having, you know, learning disabilities or whatever the case, the parent should know. The parent should have that firsthand experience also. Um, but we get so caught up in our everyday life that sometimes we miss those, those moments 
um, a friend of mine who is house homeschooling his son, who's smaller, found out that his son was colorblind. And I'm like, so if he were in school and with 20 or 25 other students in one room, what what are the chances that that might have been overlooked? And then he's labeled because it wasn't that moment of clarity where someone's like, oh, my goodness, this is what's going on with this child. Well, if one positive thing comes out of this, exactly what you're saying is that we need to be more involved in parents as parents, instead of just dropping off our kids and having those expectations that the school is going to take care of them, because we've had to step in, I think we are more involved. We are more aware of their needs. We are more sensitive to how much this has affected them. So I agree when they go back in, it shouldn't just be like, oh gosh, finally, I can go back to the way it was. It's not going to be the way it was. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Betty, you brought up something that, that's on my mind all the time, which was social media. And social media was already a problem before all this started. Like you're saying, you're young. They've been introduced to it younger and younger. Do you, you know, and it was people would talk about all the time that it that they weren't socializing properly, that everything was on social media. Um, especially with girls, the whole idea of these unobtainable lives and, and sorry, all these unobtainable lives and looks and the whole thing. Do you, on one hand, social media has been very helpful because it's kept them connected, like by playing Fortnite and all that. Right. But do you think in the long run, it's going to be super detrimental? I mean, are they even more now attached to their phones? Yeah. I know. It's like, I get crazy. Like, I have to say to myself, like, put the phone on the table because I know you're texting under the table. Like, you're not that crafty. I can see your fingers moving. Yeah. I mean, before all this, my kids were really into their iPads. And my five-year-old, you know, loves watching YouTube videos. And now it's just like, a whole other level. And to me, it's interesting because I do social media marketing for work. Um, so I, it's something that is a part of my life. Very. Well, you have, you have your own personal focus group. Exactly. <laughs> and now I have them and my son started doing TikTok and I, I, I had one of those moments where I was like, Oh my God, I can't believe this is happening. And then he came and was like, mom, do you want me to create an account for you? And I was so concerned, like, what are you watching? What is it that, like, what type of content are you even into? And he started showing me some of the stuff and it's like silly and goofy and funny, but I know that's not all that's out there. And I'm so concerned. And actually one of my very close friends who's a therapist was saying her son was watching a YouTube video the other day about like Fortnite hacks because they these Fortnite gamers love to watch these videos on how to excel and up their game. They literally, and, and Cooper's just, they watch other people playing. They watch other people playing. Which is insane to me. I Exactly. There's a whole other social media platform called Twitch devoted yes. to that, but um, my son hasn't discovered that yet. So... They watch these kids play. Anyways, her son saw an ad, clicked on the ad. The ad said, ask a stranger anything and was curious, clicked on that. And some old man came on, like in a live window, asking her son, like if he could show him his penis. Ah! And this 
freaked me out. I mean, it's just, I had, I had a talk with my son. I, you know, talked to him about how ads work and how sometimes, you know, they're deceptive and they're trying to get to kids. And it's just really like, this keeps me up at night. Yeah. They, I saw something on news saying that the predators are, they're out and they're in full, full gear Yeah, because they know that our children are on and they don't suspect you know, they're innocent. They don't know. This is a, this is party time for them. I mean, kids are online 12 hours a day. Dan, we had talked, you know, again, it goes back to what we had been all talking about before the pandemic, which is social, which is social media is really causing so many problems yeah. on so many levels. And especially with socialization, dating, relationships, all of that. Is it just going to get worse or do you think they're all so saturated and over it that they'll be happy to to walk away from their devices? I don't think they're going to walk away from their devices, but I do think that we need to kind of, again, look at ourselves first and what are we modeling? What are, you know, we pick our phones up every two seconds to look for something. They're watching us. So when we're saying, put your phone down, put your phone down, well, we're not putting our phones down. So I think we also need to to kind of take a look at that and see, is this just like a habitual thing that we just pick up our phone now when we're walking in public or when we're in a restaurant or we're somewhere? It's, it's, it's just like an automatic reaction. So as a parent, you know, maybe to try to kind of model this behavior by saying, we're all putting our phones down. We're turning off our electronics. We're putting our computers away. I'm not looking at my phone either. Let's, you know, so so you're kind of just modeling that because when I ask kids about this and your parents are getting mad, they're like, well, they're on their phone all the time. Well, they're texting uh, all the time. They, mm-hmm. they say that to me all the time. And I remind them while I'm working and they're like, well, you're still texting. Has the pandemic made it worse and created habits Mm-hmm. that are going to be harder to break for these kids? Well, of course. And the algorithms are drawing them in, <laughs> you know, so. But you know, I'm saying long term, is it really going to fuck up their socializing even I more? Yeah. Yeah, you I know, don't... in the beginning when um, there was a period of time where like no one was seeing anyone and we were very isolated. When the first few times where we got together with some close friends, the kids were very distant with one another. It was like they forgot how to socialize. And they kept coming up to us, all the kids, not just mine, saying, I'm bored. I'm bored. And I'm like, what do you mean you're bored? You say this at home all the time. And like, you're around your friends now. Run around, play ball. Do That's boring. That's boring. I, I can't even tell you how many times they would say this. And this was like, Three, four, I want to go home. I want to go home. And I knew that meant I want to go play Fortnite. I want to go back to my iPad. It was like they were so attached to it. Um, luckily, they they passed that phase. So I don't know. Like, as they go back to normal life, is their reliance on them going to be less? Or is it still going to be like, like they are now? I'm not sure. Dina, what have you been saying? Yeah, I I think, um, I mean, even before the pandemic, you know, when you walked into a room and you saw, you know, three or four, 11, 12, 13 year olds sitting around, they're all sitting around looking at their phone, right? They might even be playing a game while they're sitting in the same room with each other. Like, what's going on, you guys? And I think that 
unfortunately, this is the way that they've learned to socialize. And so I think it's getting worse in the pandemic for sure. And I think we have to, as we move forward, hope that because they get to see each other in person, that maybe we try to kind of promote activities and things that they would do where they can't be on their phone or, you know, um, whether it's sports or activities or not just like sitting in the house, but doing things, you know, inviting people over for a swim party or, you know, going and playing soccer in a field or going to the park or doing things that kind of automatically create a situation where they might put their devices down or even grab them when, you know, say, hey, everyone, I'm going to collect your phones, you guys go and, and kind of figure it out. I think kids will figure it out in terms of how to re-socialize, but we have to help them for sure. So it goes back to the structure. Yes. Um, you know, I, I want to go back to schools for a minute because, Betty, you've been very vocal. You brought up the difference between public and private schools earlier in this conversation. Yeah. You know, and a lot of people have accused, and again, I don't have a school-aged child, the teachers' unions for holding it, holding kids hostage in a way and the parents hostage, negotiating new terms that do not just encompass health and safety. Have yeah. you run into that? Well, I was never really well informed about unions and you know their role in society and how powerful they are until all of this happened really. And then it was like, as I learned more, um, it was eye-opening for me that some of their demands were completely out of scope of what's going on with this pandemic. You know, like defunding school police. What does that have to do with the pandemic? You know, I maybe some of those things are important. I'm not here to say what is and what's not, but let's talk about those when the time is right. <laughs> and we're not dealing with this huge pandemic um, where we already have enough hurdles trying to get kids back in classrooms. So, um, And that's I, not, by the way, discounting like you're saying, that there is real fear yeah. and health and safety protocols that they sh and that they're underpaid. Parents have all said they need teachers need to be making more money, um, but they did. They uh, you know, and I know that from different conversations I've had that they were, like you said, trying to lump other things in. They were trying to lump in many things that didn't have to do with this pandemic um, as a way to you know get those things passed. And then even when a lot of parents who were vocal about getting schools open, you know, they dismiss those parents as white privileged parents, which is just absolutely ridiculous. I mean, I've been working with this organization called Women of Watts. Um, and to hear how the pandemic has impacted that community was heartbreaking to me, you know, as far as like incarcerations, um, burglaries, drug issues. The lack of resources. Lack of resources. Because like you said, a lot of these kids are roaming around, right? They're lack of internet, lack of, yeah, lack of lack Wi-Fi. Of internet. Their parents, a lot of them are essential workers who have to go to work. And they're left with no supervision um, and they're roaming around. And when kids, you know, like you said, doctor, when they're roaming around and there's no structure, there's no supervision, they can get into a lot of trouble. So I feel like 
I'm fortunate where I can be more on top of my kids and I can provide them with, you know, tutoring or after school things that they need. And not everyone has that. And that's why I've become even more passionate about this is because I feel like some people's voices are not being heard or they're just being dismissed. And um, that's not okay. And and this whole race card is being thrown into the conversation as a way to almost just end and shut down the conversation. And this has nothing to do with race. Like people want their kids in school as a society for us to move forward. Schools need to be open. And, and it, that's the bottom line. To me, the, I haven't felt like the union really has our children's best interests at heart, unfortunately. Yeah, I think it's been very twofold because there is a lack of feelings uh, supported for so many years and the fear that they're going to be uh, in a situation where they're actually in danger of getting sick. So I think it's, it's you know, I think, and sadly, I think the pandemic has brought a lot of issues. Yeah. To the surface. To, to the surface. To, to, to a head, especially mm-hmm. when it comes to education. I have friends whose kids are in private school. And as of this week, what's interesting to me is the kids are technically going back to school, but they're staggered and they're just doing their Zoom classes from school. You know, it's a little bit like being half pregnant. I don't think that's going to work. Dr. Dina, what do you think? I I don't think it's going to work either. I think everyone's being cautious. And I just wanted to comment on something that was said before, because I think what's also happening is that with the pandemic, people have become so socially isolated that there's a sense of like that the community shouldn't be helping our kids, right? Because they're trying to close their doors and avoid what's going on. And so, you know, even like you were saying, when the kids are out roaming the streets and stuff, that they're having a reaction from adults that's very negative, um, like as if they're troubled kids or something, um, you know, instead of kind of lifting the kids up in a way like, you know, even just neighbors in the neighborhood and stuff. It's like everybody is like annoyed with the children being out of school and this isn't their fault. And it's it's really become a problem with kids respecting authority, not just what's been going on in, in our presidency, but, you know, kids who used to, you know, love America and love schools and, you know, love their teachers and, and look up to authority are, are really having like a, a different um, perspective on authority figures, on our school systems now, on our presidency. And so they're kind of having this like negative reaction on top of everything else that we're, that we're having to deal with, that, that there's something really wrong with our country. I mean, I've seen so many of Cooper's friends take leaves of absence from college. And, you know, you have to wonder, are most of them not going to go back. A lot of them already have jobs. A lot of them are just like, you know, I don't want to spend my parents' money. I would, I can get the same thing out of going to a community college. And I know for me, so much of college and that whole experience was growing and living away from home and doing all those things. And you do have to wonder, we, we already saw a lot of boomerangs in this last generation of kids coming home you know, after being in college and not leaving, unlike Sabrina's situation where she was like, you can stay, but you got to pay. 
which was very smart because, you know, she's made a very self-reliant daughter who knows she can survive. Am I being accurate with that, Sabrina? Yes, you are. Thank you so much. She's Sabrina's like, I'm keeping my mouth shut. And she's like, I am not going to comment on that because I see everything else. Um, but I do wonder, you know, are we going to have another boomerang situation where they're just so comfortable being at home or working from home or because the rules are so different, a lot of them aren't going to go back to school. I mean, and I also wonder for someone like you, Betty, do you think your kids should everyone just be repeating a grade to get caught back up? Right. I, th- I think that's a crucial question. Where are we in all of that? I, I, you know, for me at one point, I realized like academically they'll get caught up or worst case scenario, like that's my fallback option. For me, always the emotional aspect has been more important. Um, luckily, our, our school is very academic, very rigorous. So they had the advantage in that sense. Um, so I've been trying to focus on the, the emotional aspect as much as possible. And academically, they're doing okay. Um, but a lot aren't. But yeah. a lot aren't, yeah. You know, my, how, how, how are you finding that, Dr. Dina, with, like she said, the academics versus the, the mental and the emotional? What are you finding with clients? I think that, you know, some kids are really resilient and very academically inclined and are doing really well. And I think that, I think it's the kids that, you know, and, and, but they can also have mental health issues as a result of this, right? Socially and emotionally. So I think, I think the academic and the mental health is, is a little bit separated by kind of each individual kid. And I think the schools are really going to need to look at if the kids are behind, it's not their fault, right? And they need extra support, they need help. So whatever the school is gonna need to provide for those kids that are behind, they need to provide. And if that falls on the kid, like, again, like it's the kid's fault, I think that it just creates more anxiety, more depression, like more, you know, kind of self-esteem issues, like that they're not caught up or that they're not doing as well. Like kids that aren't doing well on Zoom are, are kind of being shamed. Right. And also, I would think you don't want to force them to repeat because emotionally, then they feel worse about themselves. You know, they this see whole, their friends moving on, but they're right. fine. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, recently I've read a lot. There's only the term that's joined in, in, into the lexicon is Gen C. I don't know if you guys have heard about this Generation COVID. Um, one group is saying it's this younger generation. Others have said we're all now Gen C, but I really do think just like we have X, Z, millennials, all that stuff. There is a group of, of kids that are going to be Gen C, you know, they've lost their birthday parties. They, they couldn't play with their friends. It was more than just simple disappointment. How damaging will this isolation be? And yes, they're very resilient, but I do think this net, this last generation, you know, Generation C is going to have real challenges in the real world. I mean, Dr. Dina, what do you, what do you think we're looking down think, the barrel of? I think it's so critical that we talk openly with our kids about what's happening and and how that it's not you know, them, that this is kind of happening to all of us. We're all in this together. And that 
we provide the support that they need. I mean, there's there's tons of mental health resources now online. So, you know, these kids who are social media savvy, I mean, there's apps for teenage mental health, you know, and like how to kind of boost your um, motivation or your self-esteem or your emotional intelligence and um, to kind of bring them into the conversation that this is affecting us. This is affecting you and it's not your fault and we're going to get through this together. And, you know, just that providing that support because kids tend to go inward with, um, you know, that there's something wrong with them. Yeah. And so the more we dialogue about that, it's not them that, you know, we're suffering too. We have, you know, more anxiety, we're having trouble sleeping or whatever it is. I think sometimes as parents, we think like, oh, we can't tell our kids if we're struggling, but we need to tell them that we're struggling through this because they need to relate to that. And they need to know that this is something that's happening to everybody, not just them. They didn't do anything to deserve this. They didn't do anything to create this and to really just, um, continually have that open dialogue with the kids is critical. Yeah, I found for the first time during this, um, just being really honest. And usually I like to sugarcoat things, especially for my five-year-old, like, oh, it's okay, but we'll do this. And I was like, I know, this sucks. This really just sucks. And I wish it was different and hopefully soon it will be. And like, how strong are you and how wonderful are you that you've been able to, to cope with all of this? Like, I'm so proud of you. Um, but just being real, I think, with them is important because they, they see it. They see us having breakdowns and they see us getting stressed. And it got to a point where I couldn't be like, oh, it's okay, you know, it'll be over soon. I was like, this sucks. Do you think this younger generation, this Gen C, is going to have more anxiety issues? Because I even see anxiety with my son. Like, it's the unknown. Yeah. And I, I the unknown so. has become very much more of a trigger point. Well, when you look at other countries and you see, you know, these kids, like when you're, when you see kids standing in the middle of a war zone or a natural disaster or something like that, and you see them go through this trauma and come through it and they are resilient. And the most important thing with all of that is the support around them. You know, it, it, it's, it's critical. And I think that unfortunately we haven't prepared our kids in the United States for mm -hmm. any of this kind of thing to happen. But other countries- Ooh, Sabrina's are, nodding. Other countries are looking at us like, okay, like you've got a pandemic. Like, do you know what we've been through? You know? Right, so right. I think, I think it's about preparing our kids. They're, they're mm -hmm. a little bit, you know, entitled about having kind of a perfect life. Yeah, and they're shielded from yeah. sometimes reality. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this has been- Fascinating. Betty, I know you live in our all same area. I know we're all looking forward to schools getting back open, yes. especially <laughs> for people like you, Dr. Dina, always fascinating. Anyone who is having mental health issues, please reach out. There are tremendous resources. Be there for your kids. What am I missing, Sabrina? I think you've, you've hit all the points and stay involved. If your kids go back to school, Still stay involved. Don't just let go of the rope. Thanks, everyone. Thank you so much.